Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 27 of Sexology Podcast. I'm Dr. Nazanin Moali, clinical psychologist and therapist based in Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for checking out this show. You can find all the information, show notes, and handles to our social media sites at www.sexologypodcast.com. I don't know about you, but I'm super excited for the new season of Game of Thrones. I know season seven is supposed to get released pretty soon in July, and I'm such a big fan of the show. And I always find, uh, find myself very curious about where this attraction is coming from. And I know a big part of it is because of how sexuality is portrayed in this show. My guest today is... Tamara Powell, I cannot tell of, think of any better guests to have this conversation with. She's a licensed therapist. She was in this show a few episodes ago. She's a university psychology instructor and a spiritual empowerment coach who believes life should be lived as a journey that is anything but ordinary. She opened ARIA therapy services as a way to provide holistic health and healing to a global market with specialties in gender, sexual, erotic, and relational diversity. Tamara is passionate about holding sacred place for the self-identified misfits and mystics of the world, the healer, the visionaries, and the creatives. More recently, she began Tales from Trapezoid with the goal of pushing the envelope around the more raw and edgier side of life. 
dedicated to those who may often feel like a trapezoid in a world full of circles. Check out her podcast, Undressing the Spirit, for weekly exploration of mankind's search for passion and purpose. In this episode, we're exploring sex and sexuality, the way it's portrayed in Game of Thrones. We're going to talk about how uh, how women's sexual desires and sexual behaviors are presented in the show. And we're going to talk about various scenes of rape and sexual assaults. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Tamara Powell. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm so excited to have one of our previous guests, one of my favorite podcasters, Tamara Powell, therapist and a coach and a podcaster. How are you doing, Tamara? I'm doing excellent. I'm so excited. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. Absolutely. I wouldn't miss this for the world. Thank you. Yeah, I am such a big fan of Game of Thrones myself. Funny thing is when the show started, I know everyone, they were talking about it. And I was so not interested because of all this negative things I was hearing about it. And I know many people like followed the book for years and years. But my story was that my husband kind of bribed me <laughs> to start watching <laughs> it. It's like, you know, honey, if you do this, I'll do that. I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. I watched a few episodes and I could not stop watching it. And at the time we were leaving at different states. I was doing my postdoc. And when he left, I couldn't stop. <laughs> so oh I goodness. finished the entire season and he, was, he wasn't happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> he had to catch up. That's funny. We're a lot alike on that because I came to the game way late as well. I think it, they were actually on like season three or four maybe. No, probably season three before I finally caught it. We didn't have HBO. Um, but once I watched an episode or two, I was hooked to and now I own all the DVDs. So... <laughs> <laughs> So we're on the same page on that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Yeah, and I think the big part of it is the emphasis on sex and sexuality. And that's why I thought it would be a good time to kind of explore it with you and talk about it. As you know, there is a strong emphasis on sex and mm-hmm. how sexuality is portrayed in Game of Thrones. Obviously, we've seen many shows with strong emphasis on sexuality as, as well. But what do you think makes Game of Thrones stand out the most? Interestingly enough, I see Game of Thrones as really normalizing a wide variety of fantasy and sexual behaviors in a way that no other show really has before. It actually reminds me of a visual representation of Nancy Friday's seminal work in the 70s and 80s. Are you familiar with her? Oh, I love that was the first like erotic kind of thing I read. Yeah, I will never forget a professor of mine who was teaching sex therapy, both recommending and warning us about her books. So, of course, me, I had to go and order every single one. (laughs) And just like with Game of Thrones, I couldn't put it down. And so for the listeners who don't know, she was a journalist who collected anonymous fantasies from women and men. And then she published them in collections. And she actually interviewed psychologists as to why some of these 
supposedly uber taboo and really bizarre things at times were hot to the erotic brain. And this just sent shockwaves out to both the lay community and sexual clinicians alike. And I think Game of Thrones is literally putting flesh and blood to those previously forbidden thoughts. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And such a beautiful parallel you make, because now I'm rethinking about the stories. And it was similar to what you're saying. Obviously, it was in 70s. So it was it wasn't as drastic as diverse but I remember first when I was reading about it I was like oh my god this is fascinating and very different and there was this rawness to it which was very attractive yeah so reading things like you know men who had fantasized about lactating women or being taken by lovers and so you know we're going to talk about sexual violence I know a little bit later too but this is a common theme throughout history we're just finally seeing it in front of us in a way that we haven't especially in western culture before but for me despite the conservative and moralistic critics of the show I also see a strong influence of positive modeling as well that we've not seen in some of the other shows for instance the scenes between Jon Snow and Egret there's so much playfulness and Egret demonstrating total comfort in initiating sensuality, which has not been a theme for female sex on camera, which surprisingly, as you know, just like I do being clinicians in this field, that's still an issue for a lot of women, even in 2017. Absolutely. And I think it speaks to the fact that how people say, you know, it's just for uh, this show, uh, reinforce uh, stereotypes and women being submissive, but there is a huge nope. diversity. Yeah. Bullshit. I agree with that right like what about that famous scene that I could probably play on repeat where the virgin Jon Snow goes down on Egret right which was a first for her because she wasn't a virgin even and it so rocked her world because of the tenderness of it all and when she asked him about it afterwards he simply it was like it just didn't occur to him not to he just like I just wanted to kiss you there right right it was such a sensual beautiful scene and it was like as you said it was portrayed differently than like people have expectation or they think about it in like other Uh kind of shows And for me, it really flashed me back to study hall in my senior year and hearing for the first time. I grew up very conservative Christian, so my parents were way more open than others, but we went to Christian schools and sex, at least at school, was just like not you know, anything that was okay outside of the bounds of matrimony. And so hearing in whispers about from guys and girls about female oral sex, uh, cunnilingus was not at all portrayed in the very positive way that fellatio was like you, we've all heard the horror stories about smell and discomfort. And so for me to see the scene portrayed on the big screen, where it is not only normalized, but beautiful for both partners. Right. Oh, I had my pom-poms out, girl. I was cheering. <laughs> I agree with you. It was such a refreshing scene for the way that like media portrays this kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm definitely this show speaks to people some part of their desire and fantasies because there is in the porn industry there is a subset of scenes dedicated to replicating sexual world of game of throne and interestingly enough i was doing some research on that there's a huge spike in the viewer uh, viewership before the start of each series why do you Mm -hmm. think we are so fascinated by sexual war the, the, the way it's been 
represented and pictured in Game of Thrones? Well, you know, I think it would be a mistake to overlook the novelty and taboo factor involved. Research studies excuse me, I've definitely shown that the erotic brain rewards novelty over what it has already seen or experienced with higher releases of those awesome feel-good chemicals like serotonin, dopamine, prolactin, oxytocin. And so human beings have always been drawn to that which feels naughty. But Beyond that, however, I also think there's a correlation to the lack of comprehensive sex ed, at least in the U.S. We don't discuss much outside of abstinence, so there's an overemphasis in our culture on eroticism rather than the natural side of things, including nudity. So Jack Morin, who wrote The Erotic Mind, I love that book, highly recommend it. He points out that notions of erotic health are often little more than abstractions derived almost entirely from theory and therapeutic work with those who are sexually troubled. So while a great deal could be understood through theory and therapy, unless we also study eroticism in its most positive forms, many of our conclusions are bound to be distorted. And so what I think you're seeing play out with the porn here is that fine line between the novelty and taboo, which I'm saying is in direct correlation (laughs) to us making it uh, novelty and taboo and really pathologizing sexual behavior that's outside of the heteronormative Absolutely. You sp- uh, spoke my mind because I was, when I hear about people talking, oh, ew, this is horrible. This shows like animalistic, per- it's an animalistic portrayal of uh, human beings. I-, I so disagree because for at least for my myself and my relationship, I value adventure. And I yes. feel, I hear from couples in my practice, one of the challenges is they're not entertaining the uh, adventure, the other way of being with their partners. And I'm not saying it like you got to go, start going to dungeons or anything like that. <laughs> unless but, you want to. Right, <laughs> right, unless you want to. But you you got to at least somehow bring novelty, kind of engage in other kind of behaviors that is different than what you're doing, even if it means that you start fantasizing about them. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head for me as well. <laughs> so what do you think about the variety, the way that like it shows all kind of everything from bland, fumbling sexual relationship to graphic incest. Are we simply turned on by the rawness of it? I know some people, there was some, and I was doing lots of research online about uh, what are people are talking about the attraction and the sexual scenes in Game of Thrones. And people were saying that we're watching graphic porn with the, <laughs> with a better storyline. What do you think about that? Well, the two questions there. Are we turned on by the rawness of it all in many ways? Sure, I think so. You know, personally, as a clinician drawn to exploring the why behind what is most appealing, I tend to agree with Jung, who said that to achieve psychological wholeness and maturity, each person and society as a whole must come to terms with what he called the shadow, right? The least acceptable, the often denied parts of ourselves. So that rawness really pokes at that. And I think that that same thing is required for erotic health. So when working with individuals and couples in my practice, I always seek to understand why something is erotically charged for them and why he or she is either embracing or dismissing of those fantasies or behaviors like the adventureness that you and your husband are always attempting to keep involved. So I can actually think of positive themes behind 
all of those stuff you just talked about, the the fumbling sexual relationship, right. the graphic incest, the infidelity, prostitution, rape, mutilation, that type of thing. There's a positive side to that from natural curiosity to a sense of adventure, to flirting with power play, to submission that can have very healthy outcomes if it's allowed for within the confines of mature and respectful lovemaking. But that's up to us as a culture to display. I love that. And I think it's very important, as you, as you were mentioning, you're exploring it with your clients, for people to be curious about those instead of kind of rejecting their shadow right. parts, saying, oh, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't have this. I don't know where I got it. Kind of be very curious about what is the attraction about your sexual template. Bingo. Because obviously, most cultures on the planet, I'm going to venture to say like 95%, I don't have the stats in front of me, are not cool with incest for lots of reasons. Even right. if we just went from the evolutionary cycle of it, if it's not good for DNA, like we right. need more <laughs> variety in the gene pool in order to make great hearty babies. However, to simply shove something away, I'm not asking you to accept it. I think it opens up a good dialogue of how could this have ever been a thing? Like, let's talk about this. Let's explore why I'm so uncomfortable. Absolutely. And I think there is just something very attractive. I'm not about incest, but overall about something that's forbidden, yep. something that you can't have. And doesn't mean Always. that you want to engage in that behavior, but it is, it is erotic and it can mm -hmm. kind of like help people start thinking and kind of channeling those erotic energy. Right. So that second question that you had about, are we watching just graphic porn? <laughs> I mean, you know, that question always reminds me of the Supreme Court justices. Um, I don't remember his name, but his now infamous quote on whether or not something was considered hardcore porn or obscene. Uh -huh. Do you remember that? No, I haven't heard about it. Oh, goodness. Back when uh, I think it was the 50s with that movie, The Lovers, it was a, a French film uh -huh. came across to the United States. Ooh, girl, it just set our puritanical <laughs> <laughs> shit on fire. And the Supreme Court justice who had to rule about whether or not this was you know, hardcore pornography to release it, he, he said, I shall not today attempt further to define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within that shorthand description of hardcore porn, because perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so. Like you're asking me to make a, a really difficult case for that, but I know it when I see it. And that line is like part of our, oh, yeah, I, remember, I, I heard that part. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know it when I see it. And so in that case, he actually said that that film wasn't pornography and it was released. I think about the same thing with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, sure, is depicting graphic sexual scenes, but it's not, in my opinion, about sex. It's a, it's a medieval fantasy epic. It's the depiction of two powerful families, kings and queens, knights and renegades, liars and honest men playing this deadly game for control and to sit atop that iron throne. So, it's inevitably about power, which ironically is also what most of us would argue sex is. So to me, this is why the show's use of sex, graphic sex, is a natural and logical conclusion. Right, right. So yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Very well put. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think just also is just people, whenever they see some nudity or some like erotic images, they kind of automatically, they want to kind of associate that with porn. Oh, it's yeah. porn. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, because porn has to have that 
erotic undertone to it. Porn has to have this desire to get off to it. And so there, to me, there's a big difference in Western culture has not caught up with this between nudity and fantasy and what is actually erotic material. That is so true compared to some European cultures and mm-hmm. the way that they use that for the storyline. Absolutely. Right. So one thing that is one character that I'm obsessed with is Queen Daenerys. <laughs> I, I've been Everyone. like, right, right. I've been going, so I'm a little bit like, I'm a nerd. I own it. I go yeah. to Comic Con and I, yeah. I wear a costume of, uh, like, Denarius. I, right, right, Daenerys. I like it. Okay. <laughs> it's just so, for me, she represents so many things. And I know there is a huge range of women in Game of Thrones. So, how, mm-hmm. how do you see that the way that women's sexual desire and sexual behavior represented in this show? Well, let's start with Daenerys. I, I love that writers showed her seeking to improve her skills in the bedroom. Right. right. She desired to further her own pleasure and not just to be used by Cal Drogo. Like it is, she really turned the patriarchy on its head. And I think women and men, certainly and what man doesn't love Khaleesi <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> cheered when she forcefully turned back around when he tried to take her from behind in doggy style, which, okay, as a sexual researcher, we know that that is absolutely in the top three favorite positions of men and women across time. So (laughs) (laughs) it makes sense given that 88% of us prefer to be dominated in the bedroom. Women, I mean, but it doesn't allow for a whole lot of emotional closeness. So when Daenerys stopped Drogo and said, no, I shall look upon your face. And then she mounted him in that traditional girl on top position. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Once again, I had my pom-poms out. Right, <laughs> it's right. I was like, now I'm watching this show. <laughs> right. So to me, we, ha- we see a very positive female role model there. And then the other character that I personally love besides that is that red priestess, Melisandre. Right. And okay, so she's dark for sure. She draws from that power of sensuality and the orgasm and what a lot of people would call, you know, sexual magic. But so I obviously don't agree with harnessing it for malicious intent or personal agenda because that infringes upon the autonomy of someone else. However, however, I love the opening of dialogue surrounding that honing in and mindfulness of sexual magic in all senses of the word. That is so fascinating because I have mixed feeling toward her because sure. because of my background, I know some women use that like their magical power to concur, like things like manipulate right. the situation. But with her, it's as you say, it's different. She, there's a magical, mystical quality, and there's just some mystery to it. So tell me how, what, why, why is she uh, attractive for you? Um, well, I'm a woman who just loves duality. Right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I love the archetype of there's always darkness in the light and light in the darkness. Right. And I see, I think you can't help but be a counselor and always want to know where things could have gone differently. So when I look at Melisandre, I just think, you know, had she not been brought up in the red priestess regime, she could have been yet another strong feminist. I think of it kind of like um, a pagan medicine woman teaching women the art of using their sensual power. I'm not talking about the flirtation, but in honing in on the power of the vagina, the power of the womb, the the sexual creativity that is connected, all the things that sensuality is connected to that so many miss. And there are actually pagan sex 
sex, meaning S-E-C-T-S, groups that derive from sensual, sexual magic. And they will use their experience of an orgasm to practice what it is like to focus in on what we want to create rather than what we don't. Absolutely. And it just reminds me of like some of the readings I deal with eating disorders and talking about how we want to deny uh, feminine power. And in the society, it looked at like less than we want to be very logical and like very like a dry way of being. But as, as mm-hmm. what I'm hearing, it seems like you're talking about as they as we know, there's a magic and power and mm-hmm. like, there's so many great greatness associated with feminine energy. Right. And she's a woman that never has a problem stripping. <laughs> <laughs> she does as well. Yeah. We see her butt quite often. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else in that show. And yeah. yeah. And I think with one other thing about that I like about Queen Daenerys is that she she's very comfortable with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. After, like, because of the evolve, uh, how things evolved with her, obviously not from the beginning, but she's not using it for manipulation. She just uses it to get her like needs met. She's kind of like very mm-hmm. comfortable with who she is, but she's she's not necessarily marrying for power as much or not like having sex to pursue men for do certain things. Not as much as other people, but I definitely think that we see a, a little bit more of a... No, I don't want to say sinister, but she's got a bit more sass after she loses her husband. And so I, I definitely see some relatability in that as well. Like what woman would not grieve and then become even more impassioned on her mission once right. she's lost the love of her life. And it's so fascinating that there's just a huge range of different women, different personality and how they relate to sexuality in the show. Right. Because, you know, Sansa Stark certainly got the raw end of the deal. Um, But I see, you know, because she was raped multiple times and abused. And I think she's an interesting character that many women can see aspects of themselves in since molestation has been so rampant since the dawn of time. To me, though, in her, we see a survivor mentality as well. Like She never lets it break her will, which I think is very empowering for a lot of women that have gone through sexual assault. Absolutely. And it shows the the post sometimes, especially with, again, with different characters, you see post-traumatic growth. They've been mm-hmm. through a horrible experiences. And as you said, they're able to kind of go back the level of function they had or go beyond that. And I think we're seeing Sansa go beyond that. And I certainly want to see that in the next season. Right. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's just all these seasons are just full of surprises. And I love that about this show. And I mm-hmm. like that just like doesn't in this show necessarily women sh- is not portrayed as not all of them as a sexual being. I can see like in Arya, the anti-princess that's yes. kind of like wanna, in, is, she is into fighting and she want to be in the same world as male. So I, I love the diversity in the show. I love her. So many people ask me if I named my practice because it's Arya Therapy Services oh, publishing right. way after her. And I can't say that it wasn't a consideration because I definitely <laughs> identify with her character. But Arya is a Sanskrit word that means anything but ordinary. It means not ordinary. And we certainly see that extraordinary um, spirit in her, that feistiness. And she just reminds me so much of my daughter. So I love that yet again, we see another version of the female uh, development cycle even, or the difference in female archetypes, because in one way, to me, Arya could represent the maiden side of a woman, right? Maiden mother right. crone. And so she 
in a way, is a counterpart to Lena Headey's character. I'm having trouble remembering at this moment. <laughs> the mother, right? The Targaryen with in- incest. What is her name? What, which one are you talking about? Um, the queen who sleeps with her oh, brother. Oh, Cersei. Cersei, yeah. So I see Arya being a counterpart to Cersei in many ways. She's the maiden to the mother. And I love that she kind of depicts this Artemis or Athena-like archetype of being involved in intellectual pursuits and not paying much attention to the sexual side of things yet. Absolutely. And I think just the other part about this show that's interesting is it shows how people's characters get developed. You were talking about Cersei, and I know she's some people like she's so hated because of the behavior. She, I love her. (laughs) I like her too. She's very powerful, (laughs) Uh and she knows what she wants. And but it shows that how how she got to the place that she is because of the experiences she had. Right. And what I love about Cersei too is she really normalizes that mama bear mentality. Like forget how she got her kids. That woman would not do anything (laughs) that, you know, comes up to protect them. And we see her even depicted in that shame scene where she's having to be marched through. I love that. And it really reminded me of the Scarlet Letter. Right. There's, there's a reason why these themes in this show draw us in because we've always had this theme running through society of when a woman steps outside what other people say is okay for her, she's it's okay for us to publicly humiliate her. Right. That scene was so powerful and I was so moved because of what you said. It's just like women's getting shame because of like, you know, sometimes because of the power and who they are and when they're not necessarily fallen in this like a small box the society defines right yeah and the, at the last i definitely want to talk about the sexual assaults i know that uh we see number of refe- repeated scenes of sexual assaults and how survivors of these assaults cope with them and also i i know some thoughts that people have about the show is that it might encourage violence against women what do you think about that You know, my heart really goes out to women that have survived such things. As a clinician who works with both the survivors and the perpetrators, I'm very aware of the possibility that this could be triggering and that I would certainly encourage all viewers to be mindful, excuse me, of their emotional triggers and to proceed with caution. And is there a possibility of desensitization? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's classical and operant conditioning 101, right? We've been worried about such possibilities since the Bobo doll experiments. And that argument, though, it's been applied to everything from video games to gangster rap in the 80s and 90s to porn. But to me, Nazanin, what's key here in my mind is the psychological health of the one watching. And obviously, that's not something the producers of Game of Thrones can account for. I know I'm stepping on toes here, but... Theoretically speaking, the vast majority of humanity can separate fantasy from reality. Nancy Friday's work is proof positive of that. And the data coming out of even Pornhub shows us that there is a discrepancy between the genres of porn that most of us watch and the type of sex that we're having. That is so true. And I agree with you about, obviously, if you have any kind of trauma 
when you watch something that's triggering, it's just like, it's so psychologically can be like challenging for people. I agree with you on that. And it just depends on not on this show, any show that can be challenging. Part of me also, I'm thinking that it shows that how unfortunately common it is and, uh, you know, kind of like normalized survivors experiences. Again, obviously it's absolutely it's horrible when people experience that and i work with many people in my practice mm-hmm. who are survivors but just i think it's in some interesting way it gives voice to them yes i was thinking the same thing stay in my head i was hoping you were going to go there because just like we saw with the teen mom show on mtv right, right. and all those episodes and everybody was so upset and oh my god this is going to glorify teen pregnancy okay sh- sure certainly Some naive girls may have come to that conclusion. However, they did their own research on this and their pregnancy rates in the U.S. actually went down because of exactly what you were just talking about. Like suddenly we get to see the other side of it and suddenly we're talking about it. We're making okay to have these sex ed conversations and they had resources listed. You can't watch an episode without seeing three times the website to go to to learn more about taking control of your sex life. So to me, there's also this possibility that showing the horror and long-lasting outcome of sexual violence and non-consent issues that we see on Game of Thrones, we're actually opening a dialogue to reduce rape culture. Absolutely. At least that's how I feel. And the other part also is that when there is a range of ways that people cope with trauma in that show. And I think just it can give people some ideas that, yes, recovery is possible. And I know this is fantasy, but somehow mm-hmm. can people can relate to that and see they can they can experience maybe post-traumatic growth because of that. Obviously, that's something that we cannot force, right? But it right. is something that can, they can look at one of those outcomes as a possibility. Right. And just to back that up further, according to most research, there has actually been a dramatic decline in rape, thank God, since the 90s, at least in the U.S., but also globally. And so if we're examining the amount of graphic depictions of sex in that same time, it's an inverse correlation, people. Like seeing sex is by no means the only thing contributing to a rape culture. It's also about male privilege, respect for basic human rights, an overemphasis on abstinence, the prizing of virginity, you name it. It's not just because we're seeing graphic sex. Isn't that funny that we want to find like a simple solution for everything? <laughs> of course we do. That makes us all feel better. Me included, right? Right. <laughs> the way the psyche can, works. Right, right. If we can fix this one thing, we're going to so- uh, solve all the issues around women inequality, rape culture, and everything around Yeah, that. absolutely. So Tamaris, thank you so much for coming on on this show. I can talk with you for hours. You're one of my <laughs> favorite <laughs> persons to have Yay. an interview with. And I know you have an awesome podcast yourself. So tell us a little bit about how can our listeners connect with you? You can certainly go to my website, Aria, just like ariastarktherapy.com. Um, I, <laughs> I also get a little more raw and real on my Tales from a Trapezoid. That's talesfromatrapezoid.com. Also has a Facebook page. I am certainly pushed the envelope there on purpose. And then, yeah, my podcast, Undressing the Spirit, which is certainly where sexuality and spirituality overlap, but it's also more about the existential crisis of life, trying to find that meaning and purpose and passion. Fantastic. And I'm listening and viewing all of those things myself (laughs) that you mentioned. And they are such a great resources. I'll make sure we have it on the show notes. Thank you, Nazanin. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye.
Bye. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.